In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena Dominus tecum, benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Iesu. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in ora mortis nostre. Amen. In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Laudator Jesus Christus in, in secula. <laughs> Good morning, Nicholas. And morning. welcome, uh, ladies and gentlemen, probably mostly gentlemen at this hour, to the Our Lady of Victory morning show. Blessed January the 9th to you all. We are in the octave of Epiphany. And today we're down. It's a skeleton crew. No paleocrat and no Flanders. Where are they? We don't know. We waited. Look, we waited 13 mm-hmm. minutes. Mm-hmm. And we said maybe they overslept. Maybe um, maybe this is a test. Maybe it was a joke. Maybe they mm-hmm. actually don't like Benedict the Sixteenth. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, kidding, kidding. But all, all jokes aside, here we are. And I don't have the liturgy of the home to show. I don't have all of the feasts uh, coming up off the top of my head, except uh, the baptism of the Lord is this week. And yeah, I always find that to be that's on. Is it Saturday? Right, it's the thirteenth. Yeah, I think that's right. No, I think, I think it's Friday. Friday. Uh, it's Friday the 13th, um, and it's always, it's one of those feasts that I don't think is celebrated as much. It's not that it's not celebrated in the new calendar, but it's it's one of those things where I think some of the significance has been lost a little bit, maybe. Mm. Um, it's sort of like just another Sunday. You know, you've got... This Sunday, and you've got that Sunday, and you've got this Sunday. It kind of gets lost in the mix. Having it tied to a certain day, um, and in in the old calendar, that day would be January 13th, a week from Epiphany, I think makes it, I don't want to say more relevant, but it makes it easier for us to to catch it and to be aware of it, right? It's a great Trinitarian feast. Um, uh, You know, the, the son is baptized, and you hear the father's voice, and the spirit descends upon him. Mm-hmm. It's awesome. Yeah, I mean, when you think uh, about it, it, it's like the first three chapters of Matthew slowly being played out over these last three weeks, you know, with the birth of Christ and then the epiphany tide of the wise men coming. Of course, you can, you know, parallel that in earlier times, you know, with Luke's gospel on the shepherds coming. But then, yeah, finishing up Matthew 3, you know, with baptism of the Lord. And then, like, what, isn't it like, two, three weeks, and then all of a sudden we're in Septuagesima, so we're already starting to enter into that, you right. know, pre, pre-desert, you know, sandy territory for, for, uh, <laughs> for Lent, so. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's right. And it's sort of, uh, I mean, if you think about it, why don't we spend more time celebrating the life of Christ? We go pretty much straight yeah. from his birth to <clears throat> um, penance and Lent, right, which is, is meant to be an image of uh, the suffering and, and ultimately the passion. And then we go to Easter, Pentecost, and then start over. Mm-hmm. What, what do you think? Why do, why do we do that? Yeah, I think it's a good question. I think maybe this could just be my, I think this is just a guess. But when you look at the Roman right, the Roman right is pretty conservative in the choices that it picks. And so it is kind of like we are sticking to like a strictly scriptural basis, I guess, in the sense of when you look at the life of Christ. I guess how the Roman Rite sees it is it's birth of Christ and early infancy, the passion, and then the resurrection. But then <clears throat> it's weird because it's like what they do is they reflect. Ah, here we go. What's going on, boys? What's up, my man? Good morning. Hey, good morning to you guys, man. How's it going? <laughs> yeah, we were just, we were just commenting on how... Uh... Tim pranked us all. He actually doesn't like Benedict what? the 16th. And he, no, I know. He just threw us on here what? to do this stream without him. How is he not well, here? What is he doing? He's probably sleeping. Probably sleeping. Probably sleeping. Unreal. <laughs> <laughs> Unreal. So this so isn't the green room. We're Tim's actually probably, live right now. Is this really we're, Yeah, we're, yeah, for real. We're live. Um, <laughs> so here's my theory. Okay, okay, here's my well. theory. Yep. Tim's been going to bed earlier and earlier every day. Yeah that he's actually got himself back a whole day ahead of everyone else and he's he's just now waking up and he but he thinks it's tomorrow it is tomorrow for him already probably yeah he's so he's so hard work he's such a hard worker it's actually already tomorrow for tim Mm -hmm. 
That sounds reasonable. We were right in the middle of uh, discussing the structure of the calendar because I don't have a liturgy of the home calendar to show. Uh -huh. um, I don't have my missile on my desk here. So we were just kind of picking out the baptism of the Lord and that rolled us into a distinct discussion of the calendar. But, you know, we can put that aside and ask, how are you doing? Yeah, no, yeah. Hey, what's up, man? Yeah, how's it going, guys? <laughs> what are you doing on this uh Monday morning, January 9th? Uh no, I, I'm doing good, man. I've been doing good. Had a good Christmas, had a good new year, had a good time away, and but I have nothing left to do on my end of the book. It's all done for me. I have nothing. Oh, nice. <laughs> it's all through. It's like it's it's all out of my hands from here forward. So um I don't think there'll be any suggestions. I think it's already passed all that um all that stuff's been made and uh even even down i think pretty much down to the the page count but if there's anything added it's going to add pages because <laughs> i pushed it to the limit man i wanted to make it look real sharp so we'll see you know but i so i had a good christmas uh book is done uh all that that's been great had a good new year my son louis is turning is he's turning four years old so we've been what tomorrow <laughs> so dead yeah, tomorrow he's gonna be well it's been like one big long birthday for this guy it's all it's been since christmas right because he, he uh, his brother came in one day grabbed a toy and realized oh my gosh wow that's one of the toys angela put in here apparently for me to hide in broad daylight but he, but he, but he got it he's like oh look he's like i got a tyrannodon i'm like you did <laughs> you got one like six or seven days earlier but dude that's perfect so it's been it's been a good time with with Louie and uh, just an all around good thing. And all the sickness is gone. All the sickness is gone. Oh, we have the, like we have the after effects, you know, where it's like you got that mm. sniffly nose and you wonder if you got weird allergies in winter. You know, kind of weird things going on with that. But um, other than that, nothing, nothing but awesomeness, man, at the Bannister household. Right on. So does that mean you have seen the, the bat signal in the sky and you'll be hitting that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, start streaming button pretty soon. It's true. That's why I'm here, man, actually, you know, because <laughs> I, I really did take a couple days. Like I worked my brains out a couple for days, months, like a hundred days. <laughs> I worked my brains out for a hundred days. <laughs> and then at the end of the 100 days, I said, forget all of you. <laughs> and I went and I, I just took a nap and just fell asleep for a couple days. <laughs> no, in reality, I really, I really did probably do that. But I, I, um, you know, I needed I needed to just step away for three or four days because that's all there was. I was only done with everything last week. That's it. Everything out of my hands. Um, and so. Uh, but yes, I shall be re uh, returning this week. So I'm here and we'll be doing a show on Wednesday. We'll be doing a show on Friday. And I don't know what was the bat time that I was doing before. Same bat time, same bat channel means wherever I am at that time. So I guess, I guess yeah, it could just be much, um, whenever I don't know. Standard time. Yeah, yeah, it was Kaiser, like Kaiser, oh, the show will be at eleven, and then yeah. whenever he clicks the button is eleven o'clock. Yeah. Yeah, like twelve seventeen, and it's like okay, <laughs> you know, one twenty four, and you're like yep, <laughs> right. eleven thirty on the on the money. So uh, Kaiser time. So yeah, this week. Uh, just anticipate it'll be it'll be during the during the morning probably still hovering around 10 or 11 probably when i'll start i'll have to i'll have to go back and look and remind myself <laughs> say when did i have that start time back then so do you want to um, give a 30 second sneak preview of what topic you'll cover what topic i'm going to cover just like uh, I, yeah you know, I, 15 seconds the world after nihilism i want to i want to talk about we've we've discussed we've broken it down into the dialectic and how uh, these tensions can be real and yet in a very real way, um, kind of fake. <laughs> it can it can be misleading. It's kind of a weird phantom menace happening there um, with that. But we've broken that down already. We've showed the tomfoolery, the poo-poo trash nonsense of the entire system. But the question is, you know, you, you can say that and know that, but it's still here. And so in the meantime, what do we do? And what can we expect moving forward? And so... I have a more optimistic take than the author of the book, but I, I that'll be Wednesday. And I think that's only one episode. And after that, I'm, I'm going to do uh, either uh, wrap up the the series on apologetics with Connor's article uh, that I did. I had one I had one episode left of that or Mystics and Messiahs. Either way, uh, 
episodes this week. Any thoughts on this question, fellas? It brings a good point. It really does bring a good point. Yeah, I think, point. Yeah. I think I think Tim Tim, you know, he has his like public persona. He's a very holy man. But then at the end of it all, he's just dangling us around. He's just like, let me see if I can get three dudes to show up and then just prank him and say, Psych, I'm getting an extra an hour of sleep. So wouldn't it be mm-hmm. something if after all this time of him doing the morning show by himself that this was like the punchline? You know, ah, I got you guys to wake up. Like, what? Yeah, it's like it's the long con. Like that's all it, the all, the whole project. All it is is trying to get you know good Catholic men to wake up early. And you're like this whole thing, <laughs> the whole the whole enterprise, all media, all all media of Catholic to all of it. Uh, <laughs> oh, all right, Cavazos, are you doing any uh, solo videos this week? So this, uh, probably not this week, aside from the one on this channel, which is going to be the sermon, the Sunday Sermon of St. Alphonsus. I haven't done it in a couple of weeks because his book doesn't cover a lot of these Sundays that were kind of inserted by the popes in the uh, 19th, 20th century. So I'm kind of just like, I don't know, do I be a purist about this? Do I not? So I'm kind of a purist about it, like I'm reading through an actual audio book, you know, going by mm-hmm. what's in the book. Um, and then on the main show probably i'm gonna guess within two to three weeks we're actually going to be coming out with uh videos every day actually believe it or not on the channel um but it's just going to be covering two different subjects the first subject is i've just called it traditional catholic dogmatic theology so it's it's what i focused in on in my undergrad was dogmatic theology and we're going to go through um some of the larger manuals that were in vogue in seminaries and in just theological culture before um, the Second Vatican Council. So books kind of like the Sacra Theologiae Summa or Father Pohl's great work on dogmatic theology. So just kind of going through all of it. Um, That's why we're doing five episodes a week, right? Just kind of doing a ton of information. Um, I'm wanting it to be definitely just a series that it's like, here's just the perennial Catholic truth that you can know, that you can learn. Um, Mm -hmm. And what's good about this information is that at least how some of these manuals are structured, they'll, you know, give you the, you know, teaching of the church or they'll phrase it in a question, you know, like what does the church believe about X? And then they'll give you the scriptural support, the apostolic fathers, the Nicene fathers, right? The patristic support. They'll give you the quotations of the scholastics. But then most importantly, it gives you the magisterium what is the magisterium set on X subject? And then it gives you the precise theological note and corresponding censor to each different theological belief. And so doing that as well nice. as doing a bit of moral theology from Prumer and maybe St. Alphonsus later on. So, okay. yeah, that, that's what we'll be doing. We'll be, we'll be kicking away. Um, yeah, I mean, it's something, I guess. Yeah, yeah so, I just, and, you know, just five days of content. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I want to have I want to have eventually you two on my show. We'll figure out what to talk about, but I'd love to have you guys eventually on the show. Yeah, you don't want us down there. You have a reputation to uphold. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I actually a little bit. Yeah. So, well, without further ado, we've bantered uh, fourteen and a half minutes so far, according to this little clock here. Uh, Ratzinger Benedict the Sixteenth. Thoughts, reflections. Um, the field is wide open. Nicholas, why don't we start with you, since you're so full of ideas. So full of, you know, people might think, is this guy jacked up on coffee right now? No, I'm jacked up on youth. I'm running on youth right now. That's the only thing I'm on. Um, (laughs) Benedict the 16th. Yeah, so when when we got the, the show prompt, I actually, it was, you know, when seeing the passing of this pope, it it was actually really bittersweet, not gonna lie, uh, in the sense that on the one hand, right, you know, death is something that is is sad because, right, death death being a consequence of sin. Um, so there is all that mournfulness. And for me, you know, especially it was sad because um, even though I wasn't practicing Catholic, you know, he was the Pope, if you will, in the background for my youth, right? Um, and so whenever I thought of the Catholic Church, I would often think of Benedict the Sixteenth and. But at the same time, you know, it's that bitter sweetness. The sweetness is recognizing he's gone on to his eternal reward where there is no more suffering. There is no more weeping, etc. So 
when I look at his life, I have to admit, I, I, I come away with three things, positives, some negatives, not very many, and then just my overall reflection on what I think his lasting legacy will be. So positives, I think actually outweigh the negatives in a lot of ways. Um, I actually credit, believe it or not, Tim actually for doing that series over Cardinal Ratzinger for really exposing me to just so much of what this man wrote. <clears throat> and so positives, I think that when we look at his writing, right, his theology, you see that it comes from a place of um, soaked prayer, right? Benedict was a man of serious prayer, a serious interior life, a serious spiritual life, which is telling, right? He's not just some, right, either on the one end, right, kind of just dry, dusty academic who just pours over books and, right, prays every once in a while, or he's not on the other end where, you know, <clears throat> he's just like, you know, hyper charismatic, wearing a, waving a praise banner, writing his next book of the Bible, right? It's nothing like that either. Um, it's a man who's clearly devoted to faith um, and to increasing the spiritual life. And I think that you see that in his writing because his writing is not, you know, um, academic in the maybe classical Thomistic sense, but is, uh, you know, heady, but also comes from a place of prayer. So I think that one, recognizing his interior holiness for me is something that I think is very appreciative because even though we might look at just from the exterior and be like, <clears throat> you're the Pope, aren't you supposed to be spiritual? With how busy and intense that job is as the Roman pontiff, we need to recognize that it's not the same as say the life of the monk who is more readily disposed to a life of prayer and he doesn't have all of those exterior stresses etc so just his life of prayer i think is absolutely beautiful when it comes to his writings his writings are um, something that on the one hand <clears throat> i appreciate because when you go to them especially like for instance some some of his works like introduction to christianity they're works that um on the one hand many times bring in the great perennial Catholic truth, but then at the same time, they're not just stating perennial Catholic truth, but they continue to do the work of theology in developing, right, and understanding and asking questions, right, asking good questions. And I think that that is um, just something that, you know, we can take for granted, right, is that sometimes we fall into this mentality of just thinking that the work of theology is done, right? This is something that I often will, in real life, if you will, um, I'll actually kind of, um, in a loving way, chastise certain friends of mine who sometimes they kind of get so stuck into this world of, you know, almost kind of like we've joked about on the show, kind of like everything just died at 1962 and then that's it. When recognizing it's like, look, theology is for, like, it's a happy to us, right? It's a study, it's a science, it doesn't die, right? In fact, the beautiful thing about theology is that by God's grace, if we make it to heaven, right, answers are solved, but yet the mystery, which is ever deep, is like ever mysterious, but ever growing, and it's just beautiful mm -hmm. and radiant. And so recognize, like, don't just fall into that trap. So that's what I like a lot. Uh, another thing, and this would be like the third thing I'll say, at least on the positive end, um, obviously, I think the big thing that either any traditionally minded Catholics or conservative mindling Catholics can all uh, appreciate his, his motu proprio summorum pontificum, I think, um, was something that is beautiful. And I'll often tell people, I say, if you think about it, what, if you go today, right, uh, like I do to a diocesan parish, right, and receive the TLM, it's largely in thanks of that motu proprio being introduced to it, you know, so many years ago, it's like 2007 when it came out. And I'm like, dang, I was a pretty young snapper when that came out, and I was clearly not Catholic, but yet it benefited me so many years later. Um, what are your guys' – do you guys have any positive thoughts before maybe I dive into maybe some of my mild criticisms? <clears throat> I don't want to just be rambling here. Yeah, no, I think um... – I think what you said rings true for me as well. His depth uh, as a theologian and a biblical scholar, I, I think a lot of um, his legacy, not to get too far ahead of ourselves, will be in the realm of 
uh, biblical scholarship. And if you haven't known Ratzinger to be a biblical scholar, then I would invite you to check out his uh, trilogy on Jesus of Nazareth, um, where he is. Uh, he makes it clear in the in the preface or the the introductory chapters of the book that he's not writing um, magisterially, even mm-hmm. though he was pontiff at the time. He he makes it clear that. Um, these are my uh, private um, opinions, if you will, as a theologian. And yet, um, someone of his caliber, you, you can't just ignore it. Anyhow, um, the the level of awareness of the Holy Spirit and the, the, the erudition that, that went into that, just reading like the first two volumes, I haven't made it through the third one yet, it's incredible. Um, his his method is one of uh, striking that balance between the historical critical um, opportunities, let's say, mm-hmm. that Scripture avails to us, but also balancing um, ba- balancing, like you said, the, the spirit of prayer and the reception of faith. So instead of trying to break everything down and understand every little um, period and punctuation mark and and everything in the original language at the original time, and it's all just this, there's value to that. And he recognizes that. But there's also value to allegory and analogy. Mm -hmm. And he's always got the eschaton in mind as he's writing these things. And so um, one of the, the ways that I've appreciated him most as a theologian is in his, uh, his scriptural work. Um, I think secondly, uh, I can say that his manner of governing the church seemed to be, uh, and, and this is just my perception, so if others experienced differently, then forgive me, it seems to be um, somewhat more muted than both John Paul and uh, Francis. I, I think he, he sort of allowed the Curia to do what the Curia does. And as Pontiff just sort of, you know, stepped back a bit, not in the sense that he was forsaking his responsibilities. Um, but when he was, in fact, Pope, I think that there was um, a, a more subtle method of governing the church. At least, again, that that was my impression. And he was you know, let's see, he was pontiff from 05 to 2013. So that was, for me, high school, college, and then post, uh, post-bachelors. post So, yeah, what do you think, Jeremiah? He was pope when I became Catholic. He was pope when I became a set of a contest. He was the pope that I publicly apologized to when I came back. And he was the Pope when I found myself drifting further and further away uh, and to the point of being non-practicing. And when I came back, he was no longer the pontiff. He was the Pope Emeritus. <laughs> and it was a weird situation because, you know, I didn't follow uh, tons of Catholic news as an atheist, believe it or not. <laughs> it's not like I like kept up with all of the, the atheist, the Catholic news. and was like, oh, what's going on in that world? I really didn't. And so... I would I'd talk about stuff occasionally that would happen with the Pope and things like that, but really, really rarely. And so when I came back, it was a weird situation even to to be like, oh, I'm late to the party and here's here's where we are. And so but I, I agree with the with both of you so far. And I think that um, one of the things, you know, and I think this may be a little bit uh, unfortunate is that I think that his his the more obvious influence will just be largely traditional and conservative people. I think that he was one of those that whether rightly or wrongly, it was like he was considered the conservative and, you know, others may be considered liberal, but he was, so he kind of stood out to a lot of the more conservative people. I think we can, I think we can kind of feel this. I think there's a lot more beneficiaries than <laughs> than they would like to admit. I think maybe it's like Trump voters; they don't want to admit to the pollsters what's really going on. But all of a sudden, you know, uh, Benedict dies, and it's not just the normal grieving. It's an extraordinary, weird kind of grieving that happens when you think that a guy's the Pope who, <laughs> during an apocalyptic, cataclysmic t- period of time, where there's apparently two and everything else. You know, but as I said, the idea is that he's going to have 
a lasting impact with that crowd more than any other. But on the positive side, I think that's good. They're good at preserving some stuff. <laughs> so I think if there's anything good, if there's a group out there that's going to be pretty good about preserving something without fiddling too much with, with those sticks, then it's going to be the treads. And so I think uh, it'll be interesting to see how everything plays out over time. Uh, and it's been interesting to see how it's played out in the aftermath and the kind of conversations that uh, are happening in in the wake of that. Back to you, Nicholas. All right. You can go to yeah. your negatives now if you want. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's not it's not very um, kind to speak ill of the dead, though. Just throwing that out there. I don't know, man. That's all history. <laughs> um, yeah. Actually, well, so, see, my criticisms actually, so they come into two branches, but so to preface, as you gentlemen probably are not going to be surprised at, my criticisms are not the same as this horrible, horrible week whenever he passed away, and it was just the secular media dogpiling him. Absolutely terrible. And you know what's funny? <clears throat> in, in, a, in a bad way, I remember, even as a non-Catholic, seeing the secular media criticize Pope Benedict um, you know, from time to time, and seeing them just jump back on this train of like, you know, He's just this homophobic woman hating da 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 da, you know, basically all the same stuff that we covered in our woke series, you know, basically just throwing all of that at this incredible thinker and influencer in human history, I think um, will be sad. But see, here's the thing. No one's going to in 100 years, right? No one will if less than that, 50 years, 30 years, no one's going to know the names of 99.9% .9 of those reporters. But people will still remember Benedict the 16th right? That's just how it's going to be. Um, so my criticisms, I think, are twofold. So on the one hand, he was an atomist, right? So cl clearly got to get that criticism out of the way. <laughs> right? We all can't be perfect. It's okay. Um, but um, I think not so much when it comes to atomism, but I do see while I think his strength, one of his strengths was his, as you pointed out really well, Fowler, his exegete into biblical studies and things like that. I think his and my methods just are schools of thought, right? And it merely just comes down to schools of thought. Way of doing theology was just very different. So on the one hand, you know, he grew up in a time period where it was heavily dominated by neo-scholasticism. And for, for those of you viewers who are watching, uh, Tim's done a lot of great episodes on just that subject. And if I could recommend one to everyone just to go watch to understand this time period, it would be called... No, no salvation outside Thomism, right? Question mark with Dr. Matthew Minor. It's a fantastic interview with a, a, a great guest. Um, but yeah, so like he grew up in this neo-scholastic time period where theology was very much so um, trying to, on the one hand, right, show the truths of faith from the sources of revelation and synthesize it with um, reason, right? Synthesize it with just like how Aquinas did it with Aristotelian reasoning and people did that before with platonic reasoning he was they were continuing to do that but they were doing it in a um very and i don't use this as a bad term but bombastic attack method of attacking the world it's funny because if you do like i do and spend most of your time reading old conciliar like preconciliar theology books they're just like it's just a boxing round it's like rocky four and everyone else is drago <laughs> It's just like the church yeah. going at it, and it's an, it's cool in a way. It's like even in these um, manuals that I'm going to cover, right, that I was just describing, it has whole sections where it's just like the enemies of this position, the rationalists, the Protestants, the Jansenists, and it gives you all of their errors, and it just goes over all these things. But, you know, Benedict, he was kind of, you know, understandably that environment was a bit – it went a bit too far. It became a bit – enclosed a bit static because when you do spend all of your time attacking right other people you can become very insular and i do think that that's a fair criticism to lay on neo-scholasticism and so because of that i think that when you see some of his writings um, because of the lack of scholastic precision you do kind of find some of that post-conciliar ambiguity where it's like what do you mean here in a sense, that can be good because you can be pushing the envelope to get theology to continue to grow. On the other hand, sometimes that can be taken in a wrong way. And so 
that's just one of my criticisms is just kind of maybe the lack of scholastic precision. But I, that would be a criticism I would give to this entire period that we're living in, to be honest, is just lack of scholastic precision. Um, second one, and I think that this is more or less the main criticism, while I think it was, I think it's telling that you brought this up, uh, Fowler, that he really kind of just kind of gave a little bit more of a let the let off the reins approach, if you will, to the Roman Curia and to just uh, the church as a whole. While I do think there's a lot of strength in that, and I do think that there is, because it does allow just in a certain sense, committees and congregations to just do their job, maybe don't micromanage. I think that maybe just in the time period that we're living it, what what is this? Well, well, well. <laughs> <laughs> what is this? This is uh, this is Flanders uh, flying by the seat of their pants. Hey, bud. <laughs> okay, you guys ready? We all just woke up, so very nice. nice. So I'm going to have a very profound <laughs> thing to say in about five minutes after I get these monkeys settled. Father, take your time, man. Second, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think so. I think that when you look at also right that um, reality of kind of that hands-off approach, one of the bad things can be <clears throat> that you're not um, confronting problems when they are there, right? And so. The little bit that I've been exposed to, at least in my own studies of Benedict, because again, I was a, unlike you two kind gentlemen, I was a very, 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 very young, as in like, you know, mm. <laughs> like second, third, fourth grade. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> it seems to me that, you know, during the beginning of his pontificate, he really was, if you will, kind of hammering away at some of the real issues. But then as kind of time went on, he kind of relaxed the reins to where, when we look at ourselves today in the church, we find ourselves um, really in a pickle, to put it mildly, right? Really in kind of a bind. And I do wonder if maybe it was his lack of confrontation, maybe that lack of choleric pers persona that mm -hmm. if maybe would have exercised it more, stuff would have gotten done. You know, it's one of the, I think it's going to be one of the big, yeah, what if, at least our personal lives, you know, like what would have happened if, say, all of a sudden, Benedict wakes up and he's just like, you know, I know I chose the name Benedict, but I'm going full Pius the Thirteenth mode, and I'm just going to start the Second Council of Trent and clean house, and you know, like, what if, you know, it would have been an interesting life. So, I guess that would just maybe be—is it's like on the one hand, it's it's very good for him to kind of hold back, but on the other hand, there is the strength on the other end of being able to exercise one and go after people, and so. What do that's you assuming do? that's assuming that he's holding it back. Yeah, I didn't yeah. mean to say I yeah, that yeah. he wasn't yeah. um well, exercising might... the governance, but just that it was seemed to more it seemed again more subtle to me. That's I mean, all. I mean that he might not be a pious 13th at all, like not a pious yeah. 13th and waiting, you know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. I think a lot of people, and that's what I that's what I meant earlier, is there would be a lot of people that they have it's like those those memes, like what my friends see of me, what I really am, kind of thing. And I mm -hmm. think that. He's always had those more fanatical friends that he mentions later in life when he says, I have fanatical friends that Sam's still the Pope, right? He calls them fanatical, but he, but they're still friends, right? And I think he's had those forever because of the times we're in and because of the role he played during um, St. John Paul II. Um, and so like during his reign, pontificate. And so I think that there's a certain idea that people had of him and of what he should have done at the time and having to explain why he didn't and mm -hmm. a lot of that is that well he you know he he didn't want to push too hard or he didn't this but it, it always assumes that deep down inside he's just like them but i think to myself one of the things that i would say is a, a criticism for me was the enormous amounts of confusion uh, that that sometimes he had even for conservative people that he did a lot of the things you know, regarding interfaith prayer, that sort of thing, the mm -hmm. optics of that, you know, standing up with the, you know, the the priestess, <laughs> everything, rubbing dead, you know, body particles all over your forehead and weird shapes. Like that mm -hmm. sort of thing is unsettling. It's disturbing and it's confusing. And he did that stuff. He mm -hmm. didn't do it as a, a, on a stage as huge, 
and that goes back to the media thing. And you know, he didn't have he doesn't have the media he didn't have the media presence that uh, you know uh, Pope John Paul II did or that Francis does, right? And so I, I don't think he could have. I think because of his, to be honest, his appearance and his voice, his age, uh, mm -hmm. and the kind of temperament that he has, all those things together, it made it really easy for people to make those Star Wars memes of him with like, or whatever, I don't know if it's Castle Grayskull or what it was, you know, laser beams coming out of his fingers and stuff. It was easy <laughs> for people to do that. It would be more difficult to do that with a JP2 or <laughs> with mm -hmm. a, even a Paul Francis, right? And so I think he had those sorts of things against him, but he, he still did this sort of thing. So it didn't get the kind of coverage. It wasn't as big of a shebang. Right. And at the mm -hmm. same time, he was still participating in that. He was still doing it and writing about it in a theological way at times that would be like, you know, given the idea of, well, yes, we're there, but I'm not doing the same thing. I'm just closing my eyes and you got to just trust what's going on in the brain of the person. And you, as far as you know, they're participating. <laughs> you don't have a clue, you know, and that sort of thing, that sort of thing caused trouble. So mm -hmm. I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad that it, that it didn't have a bigger impact. <laughs> I'm glad that the media was uninterested. I'm glad that there will be, in fact, a lot of people that might think that he never did that sort of thing. <laughs> I'll, be, I'll be like, I'm not saying a word, boys. <laughs> that quiet. Let's hope that just kind of fades away. But, but that's, that's what I'd say. So I think that's a negative thing. I think that that's um, a problem that he had and and not being more clear why to his fanatical friends, not just calling fanatical, but really breaking it down and saying, look, you guys, you have the wrong idea about me. I think if people read his encyclicals, they'll see even if he's conservative, which I would say is he's not conservative in the same way that we think as Americans. Mm -hmm. A lot of times when we use that word. Mm -hmm. Right. That's very Yep. Agreed. Uh, someone, Joe. Our friend Joe wanted us to. Oh. All right, welcome back, Tim. <laughs> Thank you, Judge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, Tim, do yourself a favor and don't watch like the first half an hour of this. Oh, oh well, I, was... I wasn't there, so I don't know. I, yeah, <laughs> uh, you weren't there either, Pellicra. No, just, just come in, just come in right around the time where I appear, dude. It, it got really good after that. I don't uh, know. What that <laughs> hilarious this is quite a morning this yeah. is like this is this is yeah. what this is meaning of catholic back from break is what it is yes man it's right it's what it's right. all yeah. i'm just first, glad Peter first Grant's here i'm just uh well, i know i know he's here he claims he's done with the book too we'll see. i'm done with my side with my your sister, dude, yeah. is your sister done with the edits i haven't talked to her she was in wisconsin on friday so i don't okay. i haven't talked to her she's the last i'll talk to her today piece yeah. of the puzzle right okay yeah, yeah, yeah it's the last piece of the puzzle and then it goes to the if we even send it to that guy, because if we if we don't, I mean, I might just we may we may do some artwork ourselves and just talk to Whitney and have her get the bag. And by the way, just as a, a, a big praise report, dude, your wife, I don't know what she's doing, what kind of fat shame to fitness your wife is doing, but dude, she's doing fantastic. My entire family said that she's doing great. <laughs> and I, I mean that it's not easy to do. And so it just it's just a compliment. Just saying, hey man, you know the the wife at the Flanders at Flanders home seems like she's doing real good, so it's good to see her. Right on. Yeah, that's a Flanders. Well, Tim, I'm, I'm uh, yes, father. Well, glad you're joining us at this moment. We were just uh -huh. about to address uh, Joe Legaspi's question. Joe and I have had uh, some lovely chats in the past. Joe, if I remember correctly, was prior military, maybe a policeman. Um, he knows, he knows that I was also a policeman. So we had that in common. We chatted about stuff. Um, Benedict's role, well, Ratzinger's role at that time in Vatican two, Tim, you're sort of the guy on this one. Now I'm on the guy. On this? Okay. Um, well, I, it's quite, <laughs> I mean, it's quite incredible because when, when you look at the history, they, many people say sources say that, uh, it, if it weren't for Benedict XVI, Vatican II would not have turned out the way it did because he essentially wrote this speech. He either wrote the speech or he influenced Cardinal Frings to give a particular address at the council, which radically altered the whole history of the council in the very beginning where, where they were shifting the, the whole, it was a Curia-dominated council, which was already planned and whatnot, but it was it was because of Cardinal Frank's speech and other a few other critical speeches, which uh, 
tipped everything, tipped the balance towards the so-called European alliance. They were able to take control of the council uh, by means of their uh, the, the different uh, power structures that had already been set up, the rules and the committees and whatever. And then they were able to push forward their agenda. They were able to throw out the schemata that had been written. Um, now, Ratziger is his personality is very he's very shy and he's just not. And, and, and it's it's <clears throat> I mean, I would call it humility, too. He's just not really interested in talking about all the things that he does and what he does and his influence and all these things. Um, so we don't really know per se exactly how much influence he was because he just doesn't want to talk about himself um but i think one of the one of the things that to me endears him to me is that because cardinal frings is is actually this is something that a, tra a, a trad mistake i think trad sometimes i was just reading it um later on we're, we're gonna have a show this week on archbishop lefebvre and i think archbishop lefebvre falls into certain excesses when he he paints a too broad of a br brush uh too broad of a um uh, a brush struck over all of the European alliance. They're all liberals. They're all Marxists. They're all whatever. Cardinal Frings was actually a, uh, he was a stalwart champion against the sexual revolution that was happening in West Germany at that time. And he was a hardcore great Bishop, but he was protesting against an excessive control of the Curia that was actually excessive. Um, so he got mixed up in all that. But Ratzinger, I think to his credit, one of the things that endears him to me is that he was against the throwing out of the schemata that happened, which I, I, I think that was, in my view, I think that was kind of an excessive move. I feel like, mm -hmm. okay, we could have added to the schemata at Vatican II. We could have amended them. We could have changed them and whatever. But did you really need to throw them all out? Because I think that that causes more, sort of a revolutionary atmosphere it kind of creates sort of a de facto like historical rupture because you literally threw those things into the trash and started anew uh ratzker was not not in favor of that even though he criticized those came out he said he was not in favor of that but he was just a pirate a peritist so he couldn't control everything he influences things he wasn't a bishop though so mm -hmm. his influence is huge at vatican ii i mean he could have been i mean top five influencers with the other big names that you you know um but uh i think one one thing i want to point out really quickly and i'll be done here is that um there's a myth that gets thrown around that ratzinger was a, was originally a liberal and then he became conservative that's not true if you read peter zewald's biography he he makes it very clear that um ratzinger was actually just he was an augustinian who also studied Bonaventure, which made him sort of a progressive in a sense, because he was that was so unique at the time. You know, people were just not doing that, even though that's very traditional. You know, Augustine, Bonaventure are traditional. It just at the the atmosphere at the time did not allow that. But that sort of placed him in 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 cahoots with certain liberals because there were certain common causes that were legitimate even though liberals wanted to take that in another direction. But then after the council, when Hans Kuhn and all the rest of those guys went wild, Ratzinger was pumping the brakes. But in reality, he was actually consistent before and after the council. He was the exact same thing. Right. And it's quite remarkable, actually. But it, Zewald actually points out that Hans Kuhn was one of the ones who spread, those, spread that rumor that uh, he had switched sides. But that's not true. He actually was consistent all the way through. So... Unfortunately, that myth is still right. thrown around. Yeah, and I think uh, on on that note of um, Benedict and, and the the um, enduring impact of the the last council, if we want to understand uh, the mentality of the council fathers, we can look to someone like him uh, for an, an, what I think is an authentic interpretation. Both when he was uh, writing as a private theologian maybe when he was still professor before becoming bishop. He was made bishop, I think, in 1977. So there's a little over a decade where he's Father Ratzinger and he's a professor here and there. So we can look to that. And then we can look to um, his contributions uh, at the CDF. And then again, 
uh, during his pontificate. If you read these things, uh, his encyclicals, for instance, I've got one right here next to me, as a matter of fact, uh, Space Salvi. This is a great one. Um, examine it for um, the continuity that you seek as a faithful Catholic, and you'll find it. But if you begin thinking, oh, this is a rupture, then you're not going to notice the subtlety. Because as we mentioned before, it, not only his personality is is a, a bit of a shy one, Nicholas said he's kind of phlegmatic, right, which I think is correct. But he's also uh, immersed in a, in a deep sense of piety and prayer, and he brings that to his theology. And so it's not going to be like bashing you over the head with, with um, uh, truisms and things like that. It's, it's not an apologetic as much as it is a, a reflection, at least it seems to me. And so when I have the chance, I don't always read Ratzinger, but when I do have the chance, I have to remind myself that he's doing theology from uh, a, a place of humility and also that that deep scholarship and like you mentioned tim he's he's consistent uh before during and after the council and so if i if i desire the the continuity that i know is proper then again ratzinger is a great resource for seeing that I, something i also want to mention here <clears throat> is that ratzinger is an augustinian he's not a thomist and the not perfect he's not perfect yes yeah, <laughs> right, yes um he's um so he's an augustinian so if you so if you read augustine augustine's confessions for example his great perhaps his greatest work at the end of the book he veers off into a into a like uh 200 200 uh, it's like ten thousand words of a commentary on genesis he just like veers off and just starts doing that or if you read City of God, he veers off and does, he like goes on and on about this other thing for a while and then comes back. That's Augustine. And, uh, you know, people read Rasker today. And you're like, well, this is so weird. Like Space Salvi. I remember reading it and thinking at the time. I was like, wow, this is like everywhere. I don't even understand what's going on. But then now I now I understand better that he's a, he's an Augustinian. And that's mm-hmm. kind of just the way he he, he flows his, 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 his argument. You know, Thomist, and, and Trad Thomas does this well himself. He says, he's like, well... There's three distinctions. Number one, and he goes to number two, and he like it's very, it's very clear. It's very helpful, you know. And there are strengths and weaknesses to both of these approaches, you know. If you're like too Augustine, you're too sort of poet, poetically free flowing. It just gets lost, and I don't understand what you're talking about. But I think that um, one of the things that Richard DeClue, my friend uh, Richard DeClue, the Ratzigarian, he said, the thing that really struck him was that reading Atziger really he it touched his mind and his heart together. And that's mm-hmm. always been what Augustine, the writings of Augustine have done for the whole Western civilization is touching the heart. And um, so I think that that's that's I mean, that's definitely what I appreciate about Erasinger, because I'm very much an Augustinian as opposed to a Thomist in this way. Um, but that, I think, helps people maybe appreciate and like like reading, for example, the new catechism versus the catechism of Pius X. Like the new catechism is way more just flowing sort of poetry sort of poetry theology sort of thing just sort of explaining these things all over the place Mm -hmm. in 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 a in a less like scientific way you know which again strengths and weaknesses to both approach but i think that's that's something to keep in mind is that he's not a thomist but to his credit he he even he still writes the new test he writes the new test i just woke up sorry yeah (laughs) he writes writes the new catechism (laughs) You know, and if you look, the Summa is like the third highest source in the New Catechism after mm-hmm. the Bible and the prior encyclicals. He still has the, the you know, St. Thomas is still the common doctor of the New Catechism, even though Ratzinger is really not a Thomist. He's not, you know, so I, I, I feel like that's to his credit as well. He's still like, you know. And uh, the documents of uh, the Council of Trent features heavily in the uh the 92 catechism mm-hmm. especially in the in the section on sacraments um as fun as this all is gents i do have a job to go to and in order to not spend um 
Can undo time in the car in traffic. I leave early, and that time is fast approaching. So Can I say I one thing? I'll, dude, I'll say it in less than a minute. Uh, oh, yeah, less right. than a minute. Oh, I'm, de I'm dead serious. I'm dead. Do it, man. Do it. Let's do this. So John Paul, he says that, uh, you know, should we be assigning the idea of uh, the council, Vatican Council to uh, turning out the way it did to a person or to the Holy Spirit? Um, he's accusing Tim of attributing it to man and not the Holy Ghost. I think God uses secondary causes. I think we can use his people and you can it's not to deny the Holy Ghost one one smidgen to say that Athanasius contramundum. Um, and the role that the Holy Spirit used in that entire process. And I would say that in charity to Tim, that I would assume with as many things as he said on this issue and his knowledge base of that, that that's what he believed anyways. He wouldn't he wouldn't deny the role of the Holy Ghost. And so I just want to say that. <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm with him right. normally on criticizing rad trads about the Holy Ghost and its influence on councils. And so I, I felt like I wanted to say that particularly because in this situation, I can't imagine Tim saying, no, nah, Holy Ghost had nothing to do with it. <laughs> yeah, Holy, Holy Ghost is always in charge every yeah. time. And I, uh, if that was 90 seconds. Yeah, I don't mean to say that we're ending the stream. Uh, you guys were late. You have some, some ground to cover. So I'm going to go to work. You all have fun. Have a blessed January 9th, and I'll catch no, you guys okay, later. Yeah. Thank you, Fowler. <laughs> So, All right. Did Fowler start this whole thing out? I, 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 I'm so happy right now because what I wanted for a while is that Meaning of Catholic would transition from the Tim Flanders show to Meaning of Catholic collaborative apostolate. And I feel like this morning it's it's very it's shining, shining forth in 2023. <laughs> We're all growing up, Tim. We're all growing up. The little lads. You're like, you're like, you're like and Cavazos even start this stream. It was y'all. Yeah, we started it. We, we hung out for like 13 minutes or something and then we were like well maybe it was a prank and so we just started <laughs> we were just like well we found oh, out Tim actually does not like benedict the 16th he just wants us to come on and talk about it <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. I, I i i um i definitely i do love benedict uh i'm so i i <laughs> i'm so sorry i i was so funny i i couldn't sleep last night so i was watching the lions game lions won thank you uh and uh and then i i i set my alarm for 5 a.m and then i just totally slept through my alarm it, uh, <laughs> so this, this is yeah. me transitioning well, to a new yeah. year it's funny yeah oh boy well any yes, final well, thoughts, it, gentlemen? It, at the time any, any that the show was y'all wanna at the time the show was starting i was laying in bed dude just like imagining brushing my teeth and putting my shirt on and stuff and yeah I was just, so i knew i knew they were starting i'm like laying there my wife's like happy you know new year everybody later. Happy i'm new like year. i'm still here man i'm like i'll be there i'm like it'll be fun <laughs> so, oh, so i didn't good. know we didn't know what you were doing but it was we felt we felt the absence tim we felt the absence well i appreciate uh yeah, glad, yeah. so glad that y'all could steer the ship without me so Cavazos, you have any final thoughts before we say an yeah, right here? Which is kind of, it's almost a question, maybe if we could all answer really quick. But one thing Mr. Fallon and I were talking about, even I think pre-show, is just like, what do we think that the lasting legacy of Ratzinger slash Pope Benedict will be on the church and on mankind? So I'll give you my two, two brief thoughts. So one, I think that what a lot of the things we've talked about right his emphasis of, of as a man of prayer also as you pointed out tim his augustinian way of writing i think is going to be very um instrumental including how theology is going to continue to being done in many corners of the church i do think though that when we look at his lasting legacy uh, i think that as I've seen a lot online, a lot of people have asked the question, you know, is his lasting legacy, maybe his resignation, right, which we've not really talked about this morning, like, is that yeah. going to be his lasting legacy? Because, you know, I think that a lot of people feel, and understandably so, hurt by that, right, hurt by the resignation. There's just a lot of what ifs, right? It's almost kind of like, uh, to a much greater extent, you know, whenever Steve from Blues Clues all of a sudden just said, I'm going off to college, goodbye, you know, doesn't say anything for 20 years. Yeah. You're just kind of like, yo, what happened? You know, what's going on here? And I think a lot of people feel that way, too. And so I think that <clears throat> to, to finish my thought, I think that what will be the lasting legacy of Pope Benedict, at least for 
this brief part of our future, right? Kind of like the immediate future. I think we'll just be a lot of what ifs, like what if, what would have happened, what happened, what's going on, etc. But what I hope to see is the lasting legacy of Pope Benedict. Is I do hope to see that true spirit of um, theology being done again inside of the church, a spirit of prayer, as well as just um, his wonderful attempt of trying to um, bring continuity to a very discontinued world, I guess, in a lot of ways. And so those are my final thoughts. What do you, what do you gentlemen think? I think that'll be, I, I kind of said what I think will be his legacy. I said that earlier, but I'll, I'll mm-hmm. kind of jump onto what you said. I think that's going to be part of the lasting legacy is the impact it'll have on future conversations regarding the end of life decisions regarding, you know, mm-hmm. when you get older, right? When you reach a certain age, I think it was inevitable a little bit. You know, I don't think it's completely, I don't think that people are out to lunch who talk about, the difference between what was expected of world leaders at any given point in history and what's expected of them now. I think mm-hmm. it's, it's a crazy, <laughs> it's a crazy difference when you can be on a plane and be in like five different countries in one day and then beyond how many gazillion channels talked about all over the world at the same time. It's mm-hmm. a different, the role of that is going to be inevitably different because the way that we know about each other is different. And so I don't think they're out to lunch when they say you have to be of a certain caliber. <laughs> you got You yeah. have to be fit. You have to be mentally there. So I know I at least anticipate it makes sense that the debate's happening, but I, you don't know how it's going to play out. You don't know how is that going to impact decisions in the future? You know, how will that, what will the debates be like over that? And that, in that, again, there's, a, there's the confusion, right? And it was, a, it was a confusion even during his life with the, with what he wore, right? Mm-hmm. Even down to the, you know, things like, and not just not just the the white, you know. It, it, so like the kind of confusion with that, I think that is going to be sadly something that he it will always go back. A lot of that conversation will always go back down. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, that, and that's unfortunate to me. I, I mean, yeah. I, I uh, there there is just a lot of emotional pain with his resignation which goes quite deep. And I, I mean, perhaps, I mean, perhaps he was a derelict father, perhaps not. I don't know. I mean, I just don't, I like I wrote, I wrote in my one Peter five article, like we don't really know exactly what all the things that he knew, what are all the different things that he knew what was going on that he didn't say, cause he didn't have to say, he didn't have to say all these machinations of the Vatican bank or whoever, who else, whatever was pre- presenting a situation where he believed that reactivation was the choice that he had to make. I don't know. Who knows? Um, I, I I I saw I saw something made. I don't know if you guys remember this. I I don't know where they were, um, but it was it was uh, Pope Benedict. He was with a world leader, and they're walking in a line, and there's a whole bunch of bishops and cardinals and other people, and they're sitting there and they're shaking the hand of the world leader, and then putting their hands behind their back or in front, cupped in front of their hands when Pope, the Pope would walk up. And at this point in his life, he was very old, fragile. He was getting very old, fragile, right? Is it the end part? He started even in his feeble, right? So like when he'd move, his movements were feeble. So he's walking, he looks like an old, a very old man. And yet these people are just turning and looking away from him. And I thought, I wouldn't even do that to an old man, much less an old man who's the Pope. <laughs> like if it was just an old man walking up like that, I'd still shake the guy's hand. And it was that you could see, you could feel the animus. You could like it was it was a something about that moment. I don't know the context of the entire thing or why they're all staying there upset. But you talk about a long line. Some people shook his hand, but most enormous number of them were defiant. They didn't want they didn't want to touch him. Staying there with their face forward, not even looking at him, looking away. And I think it's an interesting thing. I think history there's a there's a dynamic of that. That's interesting to to maybe flesh out in a future episode talking about the way that the reformers of the church are the way like what are like what would cause the reformers that's what I mean in that sense guys the waka waka <laughs> right the waka waka you know the 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 bike horns wah, wah, kind of thing that reformers um, what those folks how they have thought of men like him you know and what were things that they said I mean we're not wonks for their journal 
you know, their journals, plural. <laughs> like we see some of their stuff online. We make fun of stuff on Twitter. But they, they write stuff a lot about this and talk about it and have speeches about it. And they probably said a bazillion things. Be, uh, it'd be interesting to just flesh those out here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've seen the video. I, I, I think that at the time I was told that this was his visit to Germany and those were the German bishops refer, refusing to shake his hand. I could be wrong about that, though. I don't know. Um, <clears throat> but uh, um, that makes sense, wouldn't it? Yeah. Uh, well, it makes what sense. I, a bit. What I want to say, what I want to say, especially for all the faithful, just you know, lay um, lay faithful who are watching this, um, that I think, in my in my view, I do think that there is a strong effort, unfortunately, among many in power in the church today to. Uh, destroy not only the legacy of Benedict, but also John Paul II, uh, as well as anybody else who's sort of in any camp like that. Um, But I think that one of the greatest things about Benedict is that he does theology the way true, what I'm going to claim is true theology. There's a term called biblical theology. That's, That's a false term because that's actually just true theology. That's the way that theology is supposed to be done, meaning uh, yeah, what I mean yeah. by that is the, the church fathers did theology like that. The medieval scholastics did it like that, too. When you were um, your job, St. Saint Thomas got his do- doctorate, if you will. Everybody had to write a commentary on Peter Lombard's sentences, which was just a biblical commentary. That's what Peter Lombard's sentences was. So you had to write your own biblical commentary and doing theology from the Holy Scripture. And this is what Gary Lagrange did. He was a master of the scripture. That that's what you your title when you got uh, the title theologian in the Middle Ages. The the title was master of scripture, and that's what Gary Lagrange was too. But um, there were too many. You know, he was the true Thomist. That's the true Thomist. The true theology theologian is a master of scripture. Um, and but there were too many Thomists who were not so good Thomists, and they were just sort of cared more about Aristotle than Saint Paul or whatever. And I think that Benedict is great because he's an Augustinian who really imitates. It's like in the same way that in the same way that Gary Guru Lagrange is a Thomist who imitates St. Thomas. I think that Benedict is an Augustinian who imitates St. Augustine and really <clears throat> makes theology about being a master of scripture again, being a humble adorer of the word of God made flesh and also in written form. Mm-hmm. Um, and this sets the standard for theology because it, it brings theology just as Gary Lagrange was challenging all of the guys of his day to become a master of scripture in a true sense. Benedict challenges all the theologians of his day to be true theologians. Um, but I think that there is a strong effort to obscure that, that, um, uh, legacy, and try to throw it down the memory hole. But I think that for the for the lay faithful, the lay faithful can still read his books, Benedict's books, his many books um, on scripture and encounter Jesus Christ through the scripture and mm-hmm. worship Jesus Christ through the scripture and become a new Mary as opposed to a Martha. There's too many Martha theologians who are busy doing things, but there's they're the theologians who are true theologians are Mary who sit at the feet of our Lord via the mm-hmm. scripture and adore mm-hmm. him. Uh, but this is all ultimately leading towards uh, and, and his ultimately um, Benedict's co- totally cohesive connection between that and the liturgy. And that the liturgy and the scripture are uh, all totally integrated. And so there's this flow straight his theology leads one to prayer and it leads one to holiness and it leads one to the liturgy. Mm-hmm. So that's to, true theology one-on-one, I think. And that's what, I th- that's what, uh, so, much of the, <clears throat> so much of his legacy, I, I hope will be preserved, but I think that as life people will need to fight to pervert, to preserve it to a degree. Um, so let's close this out. Uh, I have to get my kids ready to get going to their reading class, my son's reading class. So let's offer up an Ave Maria uh, for the repose of the soul of Benedict. Thanksgiving for Benedict. 
Um, and that we may, I think that Raymond Royal had a great uh, tweet. He said that the, with Benedict's death, the legacy of receiving and interpreting Vatican II and this whole era in a way that is consistent, continuous, traditional, you know, as trads, we would, you know, trads would come in and say, well, it's not traditional, but we, we still have a lot of common ground here. And it's, it's, it's the, it's the building of something that, that we're interested in. We're building something. We're going towards this building. And uh, Raymond Arroyo said that the legacy is, is, you know, he's, he's dead now. It's now up to us to bring this forward. So I, so we want to pray for the youth, for the next generation, uh, as, as we pass this on and continue this, this uh, contending for the one faith delivered to the saints, as St. Jude says. So let's offer it all up to Our Lady, trusting in her intercession, as always. Uh, Paleocrat, you want to finish the Hail Mary for me? I don't know if you left. Okay, Kavasa, it's on to you, man. Name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Our Lady of Victory, pray for us. Mary, Queen of the Home, pray for pray us. St. Joseph, Terror of Demons, pray for us. Pray for us. St. Anthony of the Desert, pray for all clergy and seminarians. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Jesus is King.